Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 115, and we're interviewing Miles H. How are you doing today, Miles? I'm well, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. So let's get started here. Tell me about growing up. How was your childhood? So growing up, uh, the first five years, I lived with my grandparents. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really sure why until later on in life. But uh, what I found out was around age 23 was that uh, my mom cheated on her husband with her best friend and had me. And then my dad left. Um, my dad already had had my brother and already had a wife. And so after my mom had me, he decided to go home to my brother and to his wife. Um, so my mom moved back in my grandparents and my grandparents helped raise me the first five years of my life. Um, you know, my mom, my mom did everything she could possibly do for me. You know, she worked two jobs. She, if I wanted to play soccer, she was going to coach soccer. You know, um, I remember Halloween time, we, uh, we would go to a fabric store and my mom and my grandma would hand sew my Halloween costumes. So, you know, that was good. Uh, when I was five, my mom met my, my adopted dad and I moved in with him. Um, trouble really didn't start until my half sister came along. And then I found out that I was adopted. Um, and that's when problems really started for me because I would look at the way my adopted dad would treat my sister and the way he would treat me. And it wouldn't really make sense to me. Um, you know, he, she, she was the queen. She was the, the apple of his eye. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of arguments in my home. So that's um, your, your mother's boyfriend adopted you? My mom's new husband adopted you. Okay. My mom's new husband adopted me. Um, you know, I, I always believed that he adopted me because I was part of the package and my mom wouldn't marry him if uh, she, he didn't adopt me. You know, today I'm, I'm happy to say uh, my, 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 my relationship with my parents isn't perfect, you know, but it's a work in progress. Um, I can have conversations with, with my adopted dad today. Um, me and my mom are, are working on rebuilding our relationship. You know, so so childhood, my, my parents did the best they could. You know, we, we went on vacations and stuff like that. Um, no, no childhood is perfect. You know, my, my parents definitely, definitely tried the, the best they could. Okay. So how was it growing up in school? How was your childhood as far as your um, relationships and things like that? So school, school was hard. Um, I, I was always bullied. Um, you know, uh, I, I had ADHD as a child, so I got bored really, really easy. Um, and and I, I was kind of too smart for my own good. So I got bored with the curriculum. Um, so I didn't really apply myself. Although in eighth, in my eighth grade year, uh, at the end of the year, I ended up winning the uh, academic award, the presidential award for academic achievement. So I improved my grades from sixth and seventh grade during my eighth grade year that the president actually, the president of the United States actually gave me the academic award of achievement. So that was kind of, that was kind of cool. Um, and then I... Yeah, and then I opted not to go to 
my hometown high school, I opted to go to a vocational school. Um, and so that, that was an experience. Um, you know, I, I came out of the closet very shortly after I entered high school. Um, unfortunately, someone uh, I, I sort of was dating at the time to, to keep me being out of the closet, hush, hush, and, and to keep everything okay at home, I printed out an AIM conversation I had with her. And in that AIM conversation, it had talked about a, a boy. I, I still remember his name, actually. Um, his name was Johnny Casadino. And I was talking to her about how, how I liked him and how I thought he was flirting with me. And she printed out that conversation and distributed it to, distributed it to my entire class. Um, so, you know, that, that ended up making high school rather hard for me. You know, a, a lot of homophobia, a lot of, a lot of homophobic comments. Um, what age did you know you were gay? I, I don't know exactly what age I knew I was gay. I, I remember being in maybe middle school. And so on the bus, we would drop off the, uh, the, the elementary school and, and then we'd go to middle school. And I remember going to the elementary school and looking at my coach or their coach and, and thinking the coach was attractive. Um, so I, I don't really know exactly what year I knew I was gay. However, I, I do remember having attraction to, to another man at, at age 13. And, and really that's, that's when I started experimenting with other men and stuff like that. Gotcha. So how was a uh, social life? Uh, social life, you know, my, my social life consisted, uh, my, my adopted dad's family owns a farm. So it was, uh, me, my half sister, and then his sister's four girls. And then his other sister had, uh, three, three stepchildren. Um, but they weren't, they weren't living there all the time. Um, so it, it was me and, and my four cousins all the time, you know, we hung out all the time. And then when I wasn't hanging out with them, uh, I was uh, an EMS worker. I was on my, uh, my town's first aid squad. So I, I hung out with other, other EMTs and other EMS workers. And uh, I also hung out in, uh, in my youth group. Um, my, my parents put me and my sister in a Christian summer camp. And through that summer camp, I got involved in the youth group, uh, which overall was was a great experience. You know, I, I don't regret it. Um, however, it was a a Baptist youth group and a Baptist uh, summer camp, and so they they didn't really agree with the the whole the whole homosexuality thing. So that's really where my first struggle with uh, religion and and being gay started. You know, I, I was told that if I loved God, that I would pray to him to to remove my homosexuality. And and I remember doing that a couple of days. And I remember feeling really, really conflicted. You know, I wanted to go to college to become a minister. And um I, I knew in my heart of hearts that I loved God, but you know, I'm I'm being told to to pray to him to take this away from me. And he wasn't taking it away from me. So it, it ended up causing 
a lot of confusion for me for, for a lot, a lot of years. So what was it like? What, I guess this is a question. What age did you first start using drugs? Uh, so when I was 13, I started working at a local bagel shop, uh, and weed was rather popular there. Uh, there, there were some people who smoked weed. Um, so I started smoking weed at 13. I started smoking cigarettes at 13. Um, at that time, my parents would give me a drink here and there, you know, around the house or at a party or something like that. Um, and then when I turned 17, 18, uh, you know, at family parties and stuff like that, I, I was allowed to drink. Um, I didn't start doing harder drugs until I, I, I ended up getting expelled from college and I ended up eventually moving to New York City. Um, and, and that's when hard drugs really came into my life. Um, before that, I had a small bout of uh, addiction to pain pills. I had gotten in a pretty bad accident and did a whole bunch of damage to my lower back. And so I was prescribed pain pills pretty much all the time. Um, and I got, I got addicted to them pretty quickly. I went away to rehab for that and, and beat that addiction. Um, Let's take a step back real quick. How was college life and how was college life and why did you get expelled? So college life was, was, I, I made a lot of friends. I, I was no longer uh, with my parents. I was free to be who I wanted to be, free to do what I wanted to do. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I, I ended up meeting someone in college who, who also went to my college. Uh, he didn't stay at the dorms. He stayed in an apartment by himself. And uh, it turned out this guy was, was kind of a creep. Um, and I decided I no longer wanted to be with him. Um, and he didn't, he didn't really take that well. And so he started stalking me on campus. And so I went to uh, my student advisor for help and I ended up getting suspended for three days. And then the day I got back from my- Why'd you suspension, get suspended? I, I got expansion, I got suspended um, for, for homosexual activity. They didn't call it homosexual activity. They called it uh, behavioral reasons. But um, so the, the college also, the college was in the Assemblies of God College and, and they didn't believe in, in practicing homosexuality. So, so they called it behavioral issues, but really it was because I was practicing, practicing homosexual, uh, homosexual behaviors. Um, so I got back from my suspension. I, I was going to church because we had church every day. And uh, it ended up that we, we didn't have church. And um, my, my student advisor called me into his office, which at what, which at that point, the uh, student director, the student advisor's director came in and they told me I had a choice, you know, either I could go to reprogramming camp and be reprogrammed or I could leave college and I chose to leave college. How did that make you feel? Um, it made me feel a, a variety of emotions. You know, I, I felt lost. I felt hurt. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I didn't know how I was going to support myself. 
Um, you know, at that point, my my parents weren't re really willing to help me anymore. They weren't willing to to take me back in their house. Um, so I I was really really scared. I I didn't know what I was gonna do. That must have been difficult. I can only imagine. So it, no, go please. It was, you know, looking back though, it the the experiences I faced leaving college and when I when I got expelled from college has just made me that much more of a rounded individual. You know, um I I went through a lot of things that I I can now say I don't regret. Um, because I, I'll be able to help someone one day. And and that's my ultimate goal, is to be able to help someone. It's a noble goal. Yeah, thank you. So once you left college, what'd you do with your life? Um, so I, I ended up having to sleep with older men for shelter. Um, so that was a lot of my life for part of my life. Um, you know, I, I eventually ended up getting a job and leaving where I was staying with the person I was having sex with, uh, and moving into an apartment with someone else. I, I rented the back bedroom, um, and I, I stayed there for a short while like I said, that was during the time that I had gotten addicted to opiates. Um, and I ended up uh, going away to rehab for opiates. Um, after that, you know, after rehab, uh, my parents put me into a, a homeless shelter that was also a, a rehab program, a Christian-based rehab program. Um, I stayed there for about three weeks. And then I ended up moving to New York City. Um, that's when hard drugs ended up really coming into my life. Um, that's when my drug of choice entered my life, my drug of choice being crystal meth uh, and GHB. Um, and, you know, when, once I moved to New York City, you know, things, things were crazy. I was in the city that never sleeps. Um, you know, I, I was doing crystal meth and and having sex with a bunch of different people and you know I I thought I was living the dream um it wasn't really until I sat down for dinner with a really good friend of mine and uh he looked at me and he was like listen you're killing yourself and I can no longer watch you kill yourself and he said um I'm gonna have to take a step back from our friendship until you know you're you're ready to not kill yourself anymore and i remember that night leaving uh we were in chinatown and i remember leaving chinatown and walking around and now this this person is pivotal in my life you know he was pivotal in my coming out he was he was pivotal in my first relationship you know he was just always really there for me and so hearing him say that really, really bothered me because I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt him and I wanted him in my life. Um, and I found myself at a, the Gay and Lesbian Center and there was a Crystal Meth Anonymous meeting that was going on. And I ended up going to that Crystal, that Crystal Meth Anonymous meeting um, where I was welcomed with open arms. You know, I, I ended up getting really, really involved in the, in the fellowship 
Um, I I had the, the gift of desperation at that point, or at least I was told I had the gift of desperation. And, and so I was going to meetings and I ended up going away to rehab for a second time. Um, you know, I was homeless at the time. So rehab seemed like a, a really good idea because not only would it let me work on my addiction, but it would get me off the streets for a month and allow me to figure out what I was going to do. Who did you, um, going back just a, a minute, who did you first use drugs with? Uh, this guy I met on an online hookup site. I, I went over his apartment and, uh, you know, he, he passed me a meth pipe and asked me if I had ever done it before. I said, no, he asked me if I wanted to, and I'll just be quite blunt. You know, uh, he was really, really hot and I didn't want him to ask me to leave. So I said, yeah, I'll try it. Um, you know, again, I don't regret doing it, uh, because today I live a really beautiful life, you know? Um, so I, I don't regret saying yes to that. I don't regret becoming addicted to crystal meth. Um, I I don't even regret my decisions, really. I wish that some things were different and some things had turned out differently. Um, but one of the beautiful things about recovery is that we kind of get a do-over. And so, you know, right now I'm in the process of of being able to do do some things over and and being able to work on some of the relationships that that I I've caused harm in. So what how did tell me about the progression of your disease like how did it start getting incrementally worse and what was going on in your life? Okay, so I have been addicted to crystal meth for 12 years. <clears throat> Um, excuse me. And, uh, you know, I, I really didn't see the progression at first. Um, you know, it, it wasn't really until these last maybe five or six years that uh, my relapse became shorter, but my, my relapse became shorter because I went that much harder during my relapses. Um, so to bring you through the last 12 years, um, you know, at first it started off every once in a while, you know, and then it was an everyday thing, but it was an everyday thing because I was also homeless and, and that's how I found shelter. You know, I, I would go over. How did you become homeless? Real quick. How did you become homeless? Um, I, I didn't, I, I lost my place to stay in New York city. Um, I, I relapsed. And so I ended up losing my job at Starbucks and, and I lost my place to stay. And then people in the fellowship were letting me stay with them. Um, but honestly, I, I was too much of a mess. You know, I, I, I wasn't ready to stop using drugs and I wasn't ready to, to do what was being asked of me. And so it honestly was just easier to be homeless. I, I didn't have any rules I had to follow. I didn't have any anyone, you know, who who I had to listen to and and I had a couple of what I thought were friends. And one of them I can say was really a true friend. 
Um, all the other ones really weren't friends. They were fuck buds. Let's, let's be honest. That's what they were. Um, but so I would go over to their, their apartments and, and be able to stay there for a couple of days at, at a time. So, you know, um, that's, that's kind of what, what I chose to do at, at that time. Um, during that process, I ended up contracting HIV. Um, and that was a, a really hard pill for me to swallow. Um, it's still to this day kind of a hard pill to swallow. It's not as hard as it was uh, 12 years ago when I got diagnosed. Um, but it's it's still, you know, it, 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 I still have my issues with it. Um, eventually, I ended up getting introduced to the needle. And that's really where my addiction started taking off. Um, that's really where I was able to see the progression, you know, um, not only now was I smoking meth every single day, but I, I was shooting up at least once a day. And in the beginning, it was once a day. Towards the end, it was sometimes two, three times a day, sometimes four or five times a day. Um, and, you know, every single time I would decide to shoot up was when I had something major going on in my life. Whatever it may be, you know, I, I had to be somewhere or I had to show up for something. And it's not that I wouldn't show up. Sometimes I wouldn't show up, but sometimes when I would show up, I, I wouldn't all be there. And, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm really, really blessed that whatever you want to call it, higher spirit, what, whatever you want to call it, something had its hand on me and, and I, I wasn't harmed because I, I put myself in, in situations where, I could have really, really been harmed. Um, so I ended up, another part of the progression for me was I ended up starting selling crystal meth. And uh, so now I have copious amounts of meth and I have access to meth 24 seven. And so now I'm doing it 24 seven and, and that's becoming my life. What was a weekend thing or only on days where I was at my, my friends or my fuck buds houses became an everyday thing for me because now I'm the one getting the hotel rooms. I'm the one people are calling to get it. And, and so now not only do I have to serve them, but I have to stay up. So I'm able to serve them. Um, you know, I, I ended up getting in trouble with the law a couple of times. Um, but kind of uh, trouble. So I, I got arrested. I got arrested a couple of times. Um, I got arrested in Connecticut, crossing state lines. I uh, I was on Metro North, and I I was going to meet a customer of mine, um, and he actually ended up setting me up. And so the cops were there waiting for me. Um, I got put on non-report probation for that for three years. Um, you know, I I. Uh, I got arrested in uh, New York City for possession. Um, and then this last arrest was the arrest that I couldn't get out of. And I, I ended up not just getting a slap on the wrist for, um, which was down here in Georgia. I got arrested for trafficking um, and, you know, ended up doing prison time. Um, I, I was able to plead my charge down 
to distribution or intent with uh, a possession with intent to distribute um, because they couldn't prove trafficking. Uh, however, you know, I ended up having to do almost three years in prison. A long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not something I ever want to do again. Um, I try to look at the good and not the bad. Um, so I ended up meeting my partner in prison. Um, we ended up both getting put into segregation two days apart and I became his roommate. Um, and when we first met, we had first met when I had first gotten to the prison and uh, he was up at the uh, multi-purpose room when I was doing my orientation. And I didn't realize at the time that he was trying to hit on me, but he, he was trying to hit on me. And so when we became roommates, you know, we both ended up saying this, this is nothing but what it is. Like it's, it's never going to become anything. It's never, it's never going to be more than what it is. And uh, we are together a little over three and a half years now and we're planning a wedding. So, you know, I, I try to remember that part of prison. I, I try to remember, you know, the, what it taught me. Um, I, I try to remember my time spent, uh, you know, reflecting and stuff like that and, and not the bad memories. You know, I will say uh, prison is rough. You know, we had someone in one of my dorms who had been dead for 12 hours and they didn't find him until he had already been dead for, for 12 hours. How'd he you know, there, uh, there was <clears throat> bacteria in the water and then he ended up, you know, something, I don't know exactly the, the exact cause of death, but I know that when they did the autopsy, they found that there was bacteria in his body from the drinking water. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, prison is really rough. It's it's really, really overcrowded. And, uh, you know, it's it's just not ran properly. There's not enough uh, correctional officers to run to run the dorms. And so sometimes we're going two, three, four days without seeing an officer other than when it's count time. Do you consider that a good or a bad thing? Um, it's it's dangerous. You know what I mean. It, it leaves open a wide window for anything and everything to happen. So so I consider it not not such a great thing. So once you were released from prison, what did you do? Um, so initially, I went to a program. Um, and then I ended up leaving that program uh, about six hours later. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I wasn't quite ready to get sober yet. Uh, and so I left that program and I went back to what I knew, which was doing and selling drugs. Um, unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, um, you know, so I, I I called my partner and I and I told my partner and and my partner didn't want to leave me on the streets homeless, you know, and so 
he did what he thought was right at the time and introduced me to the person who I ended up getting my drugs from. Um, and that ended up just being a disaster. You know, um, I, I ended up causing a lot of harm, not only to myself, but to my partner. Um, we ended up going through a four, a four month time period where we didn't talk to each other. And what I later found out was that we didn't talk to each other because he had to step away. He had to step away from our relationship because he knew not only was I hurting myself, but I was hurting him and I, and I was hurting our relationship, you know? So we, we literally went through a four month time period where I hadn't heard from him, where I didn't know if he was okay, where I didn't know what was going on with him. And, you know, that really, really bothered me for two reasons. It bothered me re for reason number one, being that the last couple of conversations I had had with him, I was accusing him of being a drug dealer and not my husband. And that wasn't the case. You know, the case was, was that the situation was out of his hands. He couldn't do for me any more than he had already done for me. And really, he shouldn't have even been, been doing that, you know. Um, but he, he was doing his best with what he had. Um, and the second reason being that, um, you know, I, I didn't know when I would get to talk to him again and he's still currently in prison. And, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it bothered me, you know, um, but since entering the program I'm in now, we've gotten to talk again. We, we've been writing each other and probably about two or three weeks ago, I actually got to talk to him on the phone. So, you know, um, when I got out of prison, uh, I, like I said, I, I went back to that lifestyle. I, January 5th, I decided I couldn't take it anymore. Um, I, I went away to a Christian program. I ended up staying there for four months. Um, they knew about my sexuality. We really didn't talk about it until one day we kind of decided to talk about it. Um, I didn't want to talk about it, but it ended up coming up. Um, I had asked a simple question. They took it a little bit further and, uh, you know, they ended up praying for me in tongues. And I told uh, one of our leaders that they needed to get the director, that they needed to find me a new program. The director encouraged me to sit and pray, at which point uh, I probably sat for about 10 minutes. And then I decided, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I knew that talking to my partner was going to be hard there. I knew that, you know, it, it was all going to be really, really hard there. And I was willing to stay if it would have worked out. But uh, I ended up going to the director and, you know, telling him I wasn't going to stop talking to my partner. And he told me that this program, that program probably wasn't for me. At which point I had a small relapse, a two-week relapse, um, where I ended up back in the psych ward. Um, and now I am at Sober Living America uh, up here in Marietta, Georgia. Um, and it has been a, a beautiful experience. Um, my life what, what has gotten... What you in the psych ward? I was suicidal. Okay. Um, 
I was I was planning on getting a gun and killing myself. I I just I didn't I didn't want to live life anymore. You know, I I was miserable at that point. I I was sleeping on the streets, actually on the streets, like on the hard concrete. Um you know, and 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 I was miserable and I I knew I knew better. You know, I I knew there was a better life out there for me. I just didn't know how to go about getting it. Um, and you know, I I went into uh, Northside Hospital down here in Georgia, in in Atlanta, and I told them that uh, I needed to be admitted into a psych ward because I was thinking about killing myself. And and they asked me how, and I told them I was going to get a gun and shoot myself. And uh, I ended up spending two or three days in evaluation in Northside. Uh, where they reached out to the mental health hotline and got me funding to to go to Peachford Hospital. And I spent about a week in Peachford Hospital before I came here. Um, but that that was really good transition for me. So it gave me time to get back on some psych meds I needed to be on. Um, it gave me time to recover from my last relapse. And then I came to here where, where I'm at now. How do you like it where you are now? I love it. I love it. You know, all all in all, I absolutely love it. Um, the The program has its moments, but every program has its moments. Life has its moments. You know what I mean? Um, and so I I try to put the glasses on backwards and to see things in a in a different way. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I try to focus on the positives and not the negatives. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's going to be negatives in every single situation. It's how I react to those negatives. It's, it's how I react. That's what's important. Um, and this program has enabled me to receive a lot of blessings. You know, I, I have an apartment now. Um, I share it with five other people. Um, I am working on uh, step work. Um, I, I have a job again. Um, I, I have money in my pocket every week. I'm able to pay my rent every single week. I, I go to meetings, not only to uh, Addicts Anonymous meetings, but I go to other meetings as well uh, almost every single night. Um, you know, and I've gotten, I've gotten to get a social network again. I've I've gotten to get involved socially with, with uh, I don't want to say good people because I believe everyone is good, but with healthy people, that's that's probably the word I'm looking for. With healthy people, um, and and people who have the millionaire mindset. And so what what I mean by the millionaire mindset is, and this was explained to me a really long time ago is a friend sat me down and said, Miles, do you know why I hang out with millionaires? And I said, no, why? And he said, because then maybe one day I'll, I'll be a millionaire. And so when I'm speaking about the millionaire mindset, what I mean is people who are doing everything and anything they can to improve their lives, you know? Um, and I find it really, really important that, that I surround myself with, with those, those type of people. Yeah, good old fashioned saying, you are who you surround yourself with. Yep. 
So how are you staying sober nowadays? So I am, like I said, I'm working the steps with uh, my, he goes to AA, um, but we, we are both drug addicts. Um, so we're, we're working the steps. Right now I am on my fourth step, my harms and my resentment list is what I'm currently, currently working on. Um, I've recently gotten involved in Addicts Anonymous um, and I'm working on helping grow that group. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I became the regional manager, uh, the regional representative for the Southeast region. Um, come check out our, our Facebook page. Uh, it is Addicts Anonymous Southeast region group. We, if you're in the Southeast region, we would love to have you. Um, you know, so that's keeping me busy and that's helping me stay sober. And then I'm just enjoying life. You know what I mean? It's, it's been a really, really long time since I have just enjoyed life. And sometimes that looks like me laying on my couch and watching TV. Sometimes that looks like me laying in bed watching Hulu. Sometimes that looks like me going out and, and hanging out with friends. You know, um, I'm blessed to have four other homosexuals in this program with me. Um, and and I, I, I've been blessed to spend a lot of time with them. And not that I can't hang out with other people who aren't homosexual, but like we, we make sure we hang out at least once a week. And that's our time to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And it's a safe place for us to go. We go away from our, our apartments and we, we go somewhere and, and we just talk and we talk openly and honestly. And so that's, that's been a real blessing for me. Um, you know, and, and I just, I take the, the next right action today. You know, I, I live, my life with integrity today and I don't do it perfectly. You know, my, my sponsor shares a whole bunch of things and he calls them ideals, you know, and he says, this is an ideal and this is where I'd like you to be. Doesn't mean you have to get there today, but the ultimate goal is to get there. And I found that really, really freeing because then I don't put pressure on myself to do this perfectly. And I allow myself to make mistakes. And that's another thing. I make mistakes today. I don't do anything perfect. You know what I mean? And I allow myself to make my, I, I allow myself to make those mistakes, but I also don't get lost in those mistakes. So when I realize I'm making one of those mistakes or I'm not running my program to the best of my ability, normally by my sponsor lighting my ass on fire, you know, I, I come back to the basics and, and I start doing the basics again. And for me, the basics is calling out the other addicts every single day. The basics for me is writing a gratitude list um, and something new that has become one of the basics for me is uh, writing a journal on how I feel uh, specifically with my father passing away. Um, I just recently found out my dad passed away um, and I really, really struggled for it with it for a couple of days um and i didn't see progress and i had said to my sir the the last time we talked about it before i started writing this journal you know you promised me on sunday when i told you about this that that would be the worst day and i i'm not seeing any progress 
And he said, well, what are you doing to see progress? And at that time, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't doing anything to allow myself to feel better. And so that's how the, the journaling idea came up. And so I tried to write in my journal about how I am feeling about my father and his death every single day, as well as my gratitude list, as well as reaching out to other addicts. That's great. So my last question that I ask everybody is, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Yeah. Um, so if you are addict, doesn't matter what the addiction is. Um, I got a, I got a couple pieces, pieces of advice. Be kind to yourself, be gentle with yourself. You know, that's something I, uh, one of our other founders in in really that's where the founder even the founder of 12 steps in general you know the the 12 step program struggled to do you know page 16 of the big book talks about how he struggled the first half year and a half being kind and being gentle with himself so just just be gentle with yourself be kind to yourself allow yourself to make mistakes allow yourself to feel feelings and allow yourself to be exactly where you're at. Um, my second piece of, of advice would be, you know, chase, chase this program, chase recovery, like your, like your life depended on it because your life, your life does depend on it. And my third piece of advice would be, you know, if you're not ready, if you don't feel like you're, you're really committed to this program and I hate saying it, but it's the truth. It's been the truth in my life. You know, maybe you need to go do a little more research until your, your ass is on fire enough or until you've hit a, a bottom enough that you're ready to do anything. Because what I found in my life was until I was willing to go to any lengths until I was willing to do Whatever my sponsor and my core group of people told me to do, this program, whether it be Addicts Anonymous, whether it be Gamblers Anonymous, whether it be Sex and Love Anonymous, wouldn't work for me. And that's because, not because of the people in these 12-step fellowships, but because of me, because I wasn't willing to listen to what they were telling me to do. So if you're not willing to listen to what people are going to tell you, I wouldn't even ask for advice. That makes complete sense. So let me ask you, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Um, life is beautiful. You know, you, you've just got to, you've got to look for those small moments when when the universe is speaking to you. And I see them on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I went from a point in sobriety this time where I was on that point cloud where everything was, things were really, really good and I was getting tons of blessings. And then I went through a period where I was really, really low. You know, I had lost my father. I had a couple other things happen and I was just really, really low. And I'm happy to say today that life has really started to balance itself out. You know, I, I have a balance of really, really good things and, and some really, really low things. 
you know, and, and I, I just feel really, really balanced today, but that's because I do what I'm supposed to do. And, and I work the steps and I make meetings and I make recovery my number one priority. It's great advice. I really appreciate that. Thank you. So I think that's all we got for today. So for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check out our website for a pl uh, plenty of resources and literature, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So that's all we have for today. And until next time.